You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joined by Rob Rang. Happy Wednesday to all of our listeners. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. With training camp set to start in coming days, at least we're hoping so, Quentin Dunbar has been cleared to travel to Seattle to join his new team. It's just the latest development in a saga that has had a lot of twists and a lot of turns, especially in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it absolutely has, Corbin. I think the saga is a perfect way of of describing it. It seems like every single day there's some type of new news out there uh, regarding Quentin Dunbar. And and the news today is that that John Schneider apparently has has expressed his interest in Quentin Dunbar uh, coming to to Seahawks training camp. And that, of course, is important. When anytime you have a player who is is facing a legal situation and you want to have that specifically stated that, that he is, in fact, being invited to train camp obviously there is a, a legal issues that, that have to be uh, worked out for for Dunbar to be able to play long term for the Seahawks but until there is anything that is keeping him away it sounds like Quentin Dunbar is going to be on his way to Seattle to start training camp with the Seahawks so this puts us in a tough spot just to kind of recap here real quick just there's like like I said there's been so many twists and turns throughout this entire situation May 12th Dunbar's at a party with Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and several other people in Miramar, Florida, and allegedly he helped rob party guests of $7,000, watches, a bunch of other valuables. There were a couple witnesses that said he had a gun. There were a couple that said that he didn't, so that created a whole other issue right there. The arrest warrant is issued the next day, not long after he spoke with reporters. Again, that was maybe the craziest thing that I've ever experienced since I became an NFL reporter. And a few days later, he turns himself in. He's released on bail. One of the restrictions that was given to him is that he couldn't leave the state of Florida. He needed to stay put. And then, obviously, we had a nice little gap where there wasn't much new information. Because of COVID, all these cases have basically been slow played. They're crawling like snails, and they're not getting anything done with them. So didn't really have anything until last week. A report comes out from Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News that indicates that these affidavits that were signed by witnesses as recanted statements were the result of a bribery scheme. They were paid off by attorney Michael Greco as well as Baker and maybe Dunbar was involved as well. And there was a bunch of other moving parts, a very complicated situation. And that led to Greco and Michael Weinstein, the two representatives for Dunbar, withdrawing themselves from the case. So that's where we're at now. And John Schneider, through all of this, I find it interesting that he's welcoming Dunbar to camp because that would at least tell you the Seahawks, they're going to hang tight until they have more information or something happens legally. Maybe we'll be in a Michael Kendricks type circumstance here where Kendricks did end up serving a suspension, but he still has not been sentenced for the guilty plea that he gave a few years ago. 
Exactly. And so you took the words right out of my mouth is that this to me seems very similar to the Michael Kendrick situation in that I think that the Seahawks uh, are, are basically going to force the, the slow wheels of justice to move to take away their, their prize offseason acquisition. Um, you know, and that said, uh, obviously, if Dunbar is guilty, um, we're talking about a much more serious crime in terms of safety and, and things like that. Anytime you're involving firearms rather than uh, the, the so-called white car or uh, type of crimes that, that Kendricks, as you said, pleaded guilty to. But at the same time, he has not yet been, uh, you know, been, been put in prison. He obviously played for, for the Seahawks and, um, you know, hasn't gone to the full trial in terms of Kendricks's case. So I think that there is plenty of precedence, uh, especially during this, this COVID-19 era where, where everything is going to be slowed down. I think the Seahawks are wise to basically uh, ask Kendrick, or excuse me, ask Dunbar to, to come to camp and, and to, to hopefully be able to move forward with him um, while everything else legally gets squared away. There's a lot of things that are going to be going on behind the scenes here. Most notably, the NFL has the ability to punish players even if they haven't been sentenced for a crime. I and mean, we saw it with Michael Kendricks, and we've seen it with other players. Ezekiel Elliott, they ended up dropping the charges. And Jaron Reed last year got a six-game suspension almost two years after a domestic violence incident. So uh, we see the NFL step in and kind of have their own jurisdiction on some of this stuff. So it's very possible. I would be surprised based on the little that we know right now if they actually suspended Dunbar. There's, there's just not been anything new in the courtroom that is going to justify them doing that. But I could see them putting him on the commissioner's exempt list, which would mean he no longer counts on your 90-man roster, but the Seahawks still maintain rights to him while they try to figure that out, considering that this might be a court case that lasts for months or even years, given how slow and how far behind the state of Florida is with trying to get all of their murder cases and different stuff taken care of. You know, if he ends up on the commissioner's exempt list, you don't know when he's going to get off of it. That's the real problem here. Yeah, exactly. And so you mentioned the Jaron Reed situation, how it just felt like that kind of came out of nowhere two years later. I think that that's a, uh, you know, a sign that the NFL obviously is paying very close attention to, uh, to issues, whether they are um, handled legally or not, but any issues of violence. And obviously anytime that you have uh, firearms, whether, whether it was Dunbar's, whether it was Baker's, regardless, um, any type of firearms, then I think that there is a possibility that the NFL will jump in if the legal situation uh, it, it does not take care of itself. Still, I still think that the Seahawks, um, you know, are, are, again, being wise here in that they are bringing the player in and enforcing someone else uh, to basically to make that, that tough decision because, as we all know, you're innocent until proven guilty in this country, and that involves athletes as well. And you would think, you know, the NFL, they have their own investigators that look into situations like this. And the Seahawks might have been tipped off on something that maybe suggests, you know, maybe he's telling the truth that he wasn't actively involved in this and he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Might not have been involved in this bribery scheme either. It could be a case where he didn't do anything that the crime, but he was involved in the bribery scheme. I mean, we don't know. There's just, there's so much that could happen here. And and based on the little bit that we do know now here in the last few weeks, you know, I think the Seahawks probably are doing the wise thing. I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a move made, but they're not going to jump to release him if they don't have evidence or at least something that points to this is the decision we have to make. And so obviously they have not reached that point 
by inviting him to come to camp. I'm just curious to see how this plays out because there's so much left to muddle through. And we just don't know how much time it's going to take given everything that's going on in the world right now. When we come back in the second quarter, continuing our training camp preview, we looked at offensive tackles yesterday. We're going to slide inside to the two guard positions today. We'll be right back. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Earlier this week, we've looked at a couple different positional groups. Yesterday, we talked offensive tackles as well as safeties. We're going to swing to the inside of the line here for the second quarter, the guard position that at one point this offseason, Rob, it felt like half the roster was made up of guards and tight ends. They have made a little bit of trimming there. They, they released DJ Fluker. They released Demetrius Knox. So not quite as many guards on the roster now, but still – this is a group with a lot of capable bodies, a nice blend of veterans as well as newcomers coming onto the roster. Let's start with the starters here because I think Damian Lewis at this point, even without OTAs and mini camps, I just don't trust Jordan Simmons to stay healthy enough to have him be the starter on day one. I think Damian Lewis is your guy at right guard, a very mature kid that went the Juco route, was not recruited didn't get a scholarship offer coming out of high school from a D1 school and ends up becoming a fantastic guard for the national champions at LSU. I, I think that this kid's got the goods to be able to play, even given the circumstances. But then at the left guard spot, you've got Mike Upati coming back. Phil Haynes is going to be back for his second season. You could maybe throw Jamarco Jones in the mix there as well. Ethan Posick, it's anyone's guess who's going to be starting there in week one. It, that's a very good way of describing it, Corbin, because uh, that's, I, I feel like the, the Seahawks have one of the better uh, sets of, of guards in, in all of the NFL in terms of just their, the, the depth at the position. Now, oftentimes you have these positional battles where you, know, you, you hear people, especially at the quarterback position, say, if you got two or three quarterbacks, then you don't really have one. I, I would disagree with that, the guard position for the Seahawks. I think that they have several capable starters. You just obviously want to be able to find the best starting two. And Damian Lewis, the rookie out of LSU, as you mentioned, um, is a really good player. Uh, you know, and then the fact that John Schneider um, pointed out Lewis as being kind of his, his favorite of the rookies, certainly the one that he thought that the Seattle got at the, at the best point of value. And that was a surprise to me. I think that is an indication that he really, really likes Lewis. Um, I know that I, I watched he as well as uh, Steve Hutchinson, um, who was working with the Seahawks, uh, you know, and kind of scouting at the Senior Bowl. Both of them, them basically scout the the entire senior offensive lines, uh, you know, at, at the Senior Bowl. And, and so I think that that this is an indication that they do believe that that Lewis has that ability to come in and be that plug and play right guard starter. That said. All of the, you know, all of the complications that, that have been this offseason with the, the coronavirus, I think make this much more difficult for Lewis. And, and so I still think that, that we are going to be looking more at the veteran route. Now, you, you mentioned Mike Chiapati. He was your left guard starter a year ago. You, you mentioned DJ Fluker, obviously no longer on the team, was your starter at the right guard position before. And so the first player, person I'm going to, the first player, excuse me, that I'm going to mention um, as a possible replacement there would be Phil Haynes, the second year 
year player who who did show some person or some uh, positional versatility earlier in his in his collegiate career. Um, this is a, a light footed guy, but also a powerful guy to me. That the traditional Seattle offensive guard. So if they're going to go young, I think that there's a chance that you're going to see the the, the the rookie Damian Lewis on the right side, uh, Phil Haynes on the left side. Yapati and everything that he brings as a, as a veteran is certainly helpful. Um, and you mentioned Simmons. We talked about Jamarco Jones as well. All four of those, of the four younger players, Lewis, Haynes, Jones, Simmons, in my opinion, are, are starting caliber guards for the Seahawks, and they play the Seahawks' style of football. So of all the positional battles, Corbin, it's, it's kind of crazy, but the offensive guard is actually the one that I think is as much of a, of a nail-biter as anyone for the Seahawks this year. We've talked about this a couple times earlier in the offseason, that in a perfect scenario – Damian Lewis latches on at right guard right away, and Phil Haynes is the guy on the left side because now you have two players on rookie contracts that could be your guard tandem for the next three years minimum, and they both fit the physicality type, the player type that Mike Solari wants up front, both over 320 pounds, capable maulers in the run game, better than advertised in pass protection, very smart players. And so I think that's what the Seahawks are probably hoping happens. But again, Mike Upati has been a reliable veteran when he's been in the lineup. He did start 15 games last year, and he's got a strong connection with Solari. So if the coach wants the veteran in there to start the season, I could still see that happening. And Jordan Simmons, I mentioned when he's played, has been a fantastic. It's just a trust issue believing that he can stay healthy longer than a game or two. I just haven't – we haven't seen it dating back to college. He has not been able to stay healthy. Ethan Postick's had injury problems, and I just don't know that he's a fit in this scheme anymore. When Tom Cable was your line coach, it worked. I just don't think he meshes with what Mike Solari wants at the guard positions. Jordan Roos is a player that has hung around. Maybe he's a guy to watch, but really my wild card here, we've talked about so many names. I'm still going to throw Chance Warmack's name into the hat a little bit here because we're talking about a former first-round pick that was pretty darn good his first couple years for the Titans before injuries started to hit. And he didn't play all last year to get healthy. You know that he fits the body type and the playing style that Solari wants at the guard spot. He's played right guard primarily in his career. Maybe he's the guy that can come in because he has started a bunch of games in the NFL. Maybe he comes in and surprises you, and he's more ready to play in week one than Lewis. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Uh, you know, I think the wild card is, is the perfect way of, of describing Warmack. I mean, as you said, you know, obviously a former early first-round selection out of Alabama. You know, we all know that the way that Alabama uh, runs the football. Of course, he went to the Tennessee Titans, um, you know, and, and they like to, to run the football as well. And so, um, you know, it, it's a – it's a guy uh, just from his size and his physicality standpoint who does fit in with the, the current Seahawks team. And I'm happy that, uh, that you mentioned that, that, that Ethan Posick may not fit in with, with the current team. I mean, this is a guy that, that played tackle, played center um, at, at LSU. And, um, you know, he's kind of struggled to find his niche in Seattle. He's got kind of more of a tackle frame, in my opinion, than a guard frame. Um, but at the same time, is the same reason why I like Jamarco Jones and his ability to be able to play multiple positions. I think that Posey can give you that. Um, that said, 
I do not believe that he is a true starting caliber offensive lineman. At least I haven't seen that thus far in the NFL. So I think that he is somebody that, that appropriately enough is, is being mentioned as a possible reserve. But yes, Warmack, I think, is the wild card. Damian Lewis, the rookie, I think is, is a bit of a wild card as well. But it, one last thing, you mentioned Yapati, and I just think that the, his veteran presence in particular uh, is something to consider. Now, you know the Seahawks like to go with the younger players, but the fact that you had uh, the, the assistant offensive line coach, Pat Rule, uh, decide that, that he is going to hang them up and retire after 16 seasons in the NFL, I think that the Seahawks might be looking for a little bit more of that, that coach on the field uh, type to be able to help Mike Solari. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if the team decides to go with another coach. I mentioned Steve Hutchinson before. Uh, I think that you know, the Seahawks have gone with former uh, players as coaches in the past. And if there's a connection there, then that might be great. But if not, I think that that is actually a help for a veteran like Yapati as well as possibly Warmack if the Seahawks decide to go in that direction. This could be a mentorship program of sorts where he starts phasing out of playing and becoming a coach. I don't know if that's something that Upati is interested in doing, but that's certainly something that could happen. It's not out of the question, especially because he and Solari have such a strong relationship dating back to their time working together when Upati first came into the league with the 49ers. So having that veteran presence there again, it might be an even bigger deal with Rule a assistant coach that Pete Carroll has the utmost respect for walking away after coaching 45 years in the NFL and in the college football ranks. What a career that he had on the sidelines. When we come back for the third quarter, it's time to start looking at the defensive end group, the maligned pass rushers for the Seahawks pro football focus listed them as 32nd out of 32 teams in their latest rankings. We're going to discuss whether that's fair or not by looking at every player on the depth chart. Don't go away. You're listening to Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. We just looked at both guard spots along the offensive line. Now we're going to swing to the other side of the trenches, a much maligned defensive end group. Rob, we've talked about this over and over and over and over again. The Seahawks finished next to last in the NFL in sacks last year, really struggled to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks, particularly at the defensive end spots. They had to rely a lot on blitzing players like Bobby Wagner, Michael Kendricks. They sprinkled in Shaquem Griffin late in the year, rushing off the edge and under 220 pounds. I mean, they were trying everything to get some pressure on opposing quarterbacks and then they allowed Devin Clowney, at least to this point, he is still unsigned. They didn't bring him back and didn't go after any other big fish. Instead, signing a couple of reliable veterans that were probably second, third tier free agents. They drafted Daryl Taylor. This is a group that, you know, on paper might not look like it's any better than last year, but this is at least my opinion. I can understand why they would be ranked low compared to a lot of teams just because there's a lot of uncertainty with this group. But I think the entire group as a whole is going to be better than what they had last year. I think their depth and there's some intriguing young guys here is going to make it that this group is going to be better than it was last season. 
I agree. I, I think that this is, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that, that, that some have, have ranked this as the, the league's worst defensive line. And, uh, and I just think that that's, you know, that, that, that's a little bit of speculation. I, I don't know what, what, they're, what they're looking at. Uh, now, obviously, statistically, last year, the sack numbers weren't there. But you have to take into consideration just the, the, the age of, of some of Seattle's most important defensive linemen. The fact that Jaron Reed, of course, was suspended for – you know, a significant part of the season, the, the durability issues that was Jadavion Clowney. Uh, and, and I think that, there is, that, that this is a group that, that has a lot of potential to, to kind of surprise a lot of people this year. And it, to me, this is the yeah, but group for the Seahawks. There, there's, a, there's a lot of talent, but yeah, but there, there's some issues. And obviously, you know, you, you asked me to come on and, and, and help do this. I'm going to look at it from the rookie and the, the young player perspective. And Seattle obviously has focused a lot of, of early draft capital on this position. You are expecting uh, a, a significant step up in play from Rasheen Green, from LJ Collar. You are expecting the, the, the two rookie edge rushers this year, Taylor and Robinson and Robinson, excuse me, both to be able to provide uh, a legitimate speed off of the edge. That's something that, that Mayoya and, and Irvin, in my opinion, have, have proven over and over again throughout their careers. They're not necessarily the biggest or most powerful guys, but they certainly have speed. And I think that that is really important because you're seeing that the way that the NFL has completely changed in the last, in the last five, 10 years or so. Obviously, there's a lot of teams out there that like to throw the ball. That's been going on for a while. But, but ever since the Rams went with Sean McVay, ever since the, the, the Arizona Cardinals went with Cliff Kingsbury, and they both found quarterbacks that have the quick release, in the case of Arizona, uh, have a quarterback that has the mobility, that, that certainly makes it, it much more difficult to get those quarterbacks, then I think you can expect that Seattle is not going to have the sack numbers. But the proof is in the pudding. They're, they're the playoff team, unlike the team that finished dead last in the NFL a year ago in Miami Dolphins. Let's look at the starters here first. And you and I were discussing this before the show. I think Rasheem Green right now is your guy at the five-tech position. He is your base defensive end. Now, maybe LJ Collier, fully healthy, comes out and really surprises people in camp, and the Seahawks would love it if that happens. You used a first-round pick on him a year ago. If he starts playing like that caliber of a player, that's instantly going to make your defensive line that much better. But with what we saw from Rasheem Green last year, him going into his third season, he's only 23 years old. He's younger than Collier. You have to believe that he's the favorite to start there. At the other position, I think you could throw three names out at the Leo spot. Benson Mayoa, Daryl Taylor, and Bruce Irvin. I know that Irvin and Pete Carroll have both said he's going to be playing some Sam linebacker. I truly believe at this stage in his career, especially with the depth the Seahawks have already at linebacker, that he should be primarily used at the Leo defensive end spot. Use him how Carolina used him last year. Let him pin back his ears and get after the quarterback. That was the biggest weakness for this defense last year. You can help address that by playing to his strengths the most. Instead of having him do things how he did the first four years in Seattle when he was younger and he could drop back into coverage, I don't feel like that's taking full advantage of his skill set. But that being said, I actually think Benson Mayoa is going to be your week one starter at the Leo defensive end spot. Now hear me out here, Rob. I've watched a lot of film this offseason, and what really surprised me was watching Benson Mayoa two years ago when he was starting games at the beginning of the year for the Arizona Cardinals. Because there's kind of a narrative out there that, well, he's just a situational guy that can rush the passer. I thought he played really well defending the run. 
in his four starts on his Cardinals film, he was the only guy under the Patrick Peterson that showed up in a game where they got blown out by the Rams. He had a couple tackles for loss, a couple sacks, and then they benched him. And that's why the Cardinals coaching staff got fired after one year. But anyway, um, I, I think Benson Mayoa is going to be your guy. I think he's one of those players, a bit of a late bloomer, that maybe could be kind of like Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett were in 2013 when they were signed to one-year deals. At this stage of his career, he's five years younger than Bruce Irvin. I think Mayoa coming off a career year, getting after the quarterback, and he only played like 30% of the Raiders' snaps. I think he's got a chance to really blow up in a scheme where the Seahawks know how to utilize him. Yeah, but as I, as I mentioned before, I mean, I, I hear you. My is a player that I, I've been high on for a long time. Uh, I remember scouting him at Idaho and was really excited when, when the Seahawks got him because you could just see the speed that, that he offered. And uh, I'm happy that you mentioned with, with Brewster because I, I – personally feel that that both of these players are are really similar kind of guys they, they both have that initial burst that you're looking for and they both are stronger at the point of attack than you than most people want to give them credit for uh urban is just a physical nasty highly aggressive player my is actually stronger than, than i had previously be given him credit for and i'm happy that you mentioned um how successful that he was in his limited opportunities as a run defender with arizona now, last year with Oakland, I saw a, a guy that, that basically was put in a position to kind of feast with some sack numbers. The Raiders have a lot of talent along that defensive line, and they put Mayoya out there to kind of be uh, a guy that, that could kind of get things done in, in third down pass rushing situations. Now, think about the, the AFC West division. You have the young quarterback in Denver and Drew Locke. You have Phillip Rivers, who couldn't run away from anybody, uh, you know, with the Chargers. And then, of course, you have Patrick Mahomes and all all the Chiefs do is basically pass the football. So he had a lot more opportunities to pin his ears back and rush the quarterback that I think that he's likely to get in Seattle. But that said, the, all the different skills that, that we talked about uh, are still there. I think that they're still there with Bruce Irvin as well. I personally think that Irvin is the more likely of the two to be your opening day starter. And I really, really am intrigued by Daryl Taylor, the rookie as well. Uh, but at the same time, I think those are your Leo defensive ends. And then I'm happy that you mentioned it that way as far as the five technique on the other side that's where you're going to have your bigger guys and I really think that Rasheen Green uh, this is his year to, to make take that big step I'm intrigued by Collier but I think that one of those two is most likely to slide inside and take over that that uh, that versatile role that Quentin Jefferson as Nick Lee pointed out in a recent article on Seahawks Maven uh, did so well uh, for the Seahawks a year ago I think Collier fits that better because we're talking about he's already above 290 he's a little <laughs> short or two and I think at the point of attack he's he's a bit more physical and so I actually am really intrigued I was considering the possibility that maybe by 2021 LJ Collier's primarily playing defensive tackle for the Seahawks I could see it because this dude thumps you with his hands and he's not a guy that's going to pin his ears back off the edge as a defensive end and get after the quarterback he can get to the quarterback because he has some decent pass rushing counters and he's physical but I think he'd be much more dangerous in the interior in that capacity. So I think there's a role for him. I just think Rasheem Green is your five tech. And then kind of the wild cards here, we're talking about other players in the roster that might be able to find a niche. I think Alton Robinson, the fifth rounder out of Syracuse, another guy that could be in the mix, the Leo position, he's going to be dealing with a numbers game there. We just threw out three names 
of guys that could be rushing from there. But Elton Robinson had 10 sacks and 17 tackles for a loss his junior year at Syracuse, and he's got speed to burn off the edge too. So he's a player that I thought was going to go earlier than the fifth round. He might surprise people in camp. Shaquem Griffin, we saw what he could do in limited action last year. He's going to be a situational guy at his size, but certainly he's a player to watch. And then, of course, Brandon Jackson, the guy that just continues to hang around. He, he is the, he's a dirty work guy. He's going to play multiple spots for you. You can reduce him inside. He can play the five tech. He's played Leo before. He brings you a lot of versatility. And they've got a lot of veterans that departed after this past season. So having a player like Jackson around there for a lot of these younger guys would make a lot of sense. Oh, it certainly would. And, you know, and I'm happy that you mentioned Jackson, uh, you know, just because, again, the, the positional versatility that you just mentioned, I think that that is one of the things that, that keeps him on this roster because he does not have that elite burst. But he's a legit 6'4", 280 pounds, and he can hold up at the point of attack as well. Um, Collier, I 100% agree. He's a tough guy. He and Irvin, to me, are, even though obviously neither one of them, uh, you know, played, well, in Irvin's case, didn't play for Seattle a year ago, but going back and the past and even Collier with you know as, as much as while he struggled to make the impactful plays uh at, at the same time he, you wouldn't see him getting blown off the line of scrimmage he is a tough guy and I think that that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks appear to be a little bit higher on both of these players uh than maybe some others out there uh would be and I think that's because that there is a you know in Seattle there's just there's a different expectation in terms of physicality um, and I think that you saw that slide away a little bit last year. And that's one of the reasons why YCL's defense, frankly, last year wasn't, wasn't up to snuff. Um, but I think that you're going to see a, a return to physicality. Frankly, it's one of the reasons why I think that the, the Seahawks made the selection of Jordan Brooks uh, where they did is because they know that they, they need to create more big plays close to the line of scrimmage rather than giving up the gap type of plays, um, the, the big gainers that they did so often a year ago. Let's talk undrafted free agents real quick. Now, obviously, there's an asterisk to this right now because it looks like camps are going to be with 80 players instead of 90. Now, the two guys that I have listed here as practice squad candidates, maybe wild cards if you want to call them that, Marcus Webb out of Troy as well as Eli Menser, who played at Albany, an FCS school. I would be surprised if those two players are on that short list of 10 players that are cut. I actually think you're probably going to see more players that – have been to training camps prior, you know, players like, say, Jason Stanley, who was with the Falcons and Jaguars last year. I think those are the kind of guys right now that should be fearful about losing the opportunity to be able to show the Seahawks what they can do. I expect Webb and Mensah are both going to be in camp, different types of players. Webb played defensive tackle at Troy. He intrigues me as a five-tech prospect. He had seven sacks last year for the Trojans. Pretty good athlete for his size. And then Eli Menser had double-digit sacks at Albany in the couple games that he played against FC or FBS competition, one of them against Pittsburgh that I watched a couple years ago. He jumps off the film. This guy at around 225, 230 pounds has legitimate edge-rushing NFL speed. And so I think both those guys are at least players to keep an eye on in training camp. I don't think they're going to be able to make the roster necessarily, especially given how crazy this offseason has been. But – I could see one or both of those players being on the practice squad. 
Yeah, I think that, the, you know, practice squads, you, you want guys that, that not only have talent, obviously, but also play in positions that are important enough to your team. And, uh, you know, given how much of an issue the pass rush has been for the Seahawks, and I, I think that both of those players make some sense. Uh, you, you're right with Webb. He played inside at defensive tackle, was listed at closer to 280 pounds by Troy. And then, you know, when he signed with Seattle, they, they list him at 6'2", 247 pounds. So, you know, it's going to be d- difficult for him to, to be able to hold up the point of attack at that weight inside but uh but he is an intriguing guy and then Menser, as you mentioned 6'1 225 pounds i mean that's 6'1 225 not a lot of defensive ends that way but we saw the way that shakeem griffin was able to uh to, to create some some you know use his speed to to be able to to create some, some big plays at times for the seahawks Menser basically is going to be asked to do kind of the sim, similar kind of thing i agree with the core but I, i'd be surprised if either one of these players make their active roster but at the same time, these are exactly the type of guys you're looking for as practice squad developmental prospects. Guys that have high upside, maybe a little positional versatility, were really productive at the college level that you can develop. And both those guys check off all those boxes. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on our Locked on Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. On our Thursday show, we're going to continue our training camp preview. We're going to look at the tight end group. They've already had one key injury, but hopefully the rest of the group can stay healthy throughout camp. And then we're going to look at the linebacking group, which might be the deepest position group on the entire Seahawks roster. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.